0: Right, is that okay now, Hazel? Okay, welcome to everybody on Zoom. How many have we got on Zoom today, Hazel? Four. Welcome to the four of you. Great to uh, have you tuning in on us. Um, now on uh, the other night, it was quite a warm evening. There haven't been very many, and um, we kind of left the living room doors open, and um, I was aware that. Gradually, creatures were crawling into the room. There was, I mean, first of all, it was just like a slug was crawling in. And I thought, well, that's not very nice. But a slug leaves a little silver trail, but it's not, nothing too desperate. A snail came in. Then, like a larger sort of centipede thing crawled in. And gradually, more and more larger creatures kept were crawling into our into our room and I was getting a bit actually a little bit scared and then it wasn't a very big one but it was an alligator (laughs) and it was about that long this is a true story you know an alligator crawled into the room and it kind of like settled over the, the far side of the room and I thought I'm not standing for this I thought I'm not going to have this kind of cheek from an alligator. Who do you think you are? So I thought, okay, I will have to take steps. I'll get the alligator, and I was, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit scared of alligators, you know. So I went over to it, and I thought, well, if I'm, you know, it sort of jaws apart, you know. So I thought, well, if I just quickly, if I'm quick enough and nimble and agile enough. Which, of course, I'm famous for. Um, I will just go over there and snap it shut, hold it tight and throw it out. So this is a, you know this is a big deal for me, because I have never ever caught a live alligator before. I I'm, I'm guess there are probably a few of you here who have done that sort of thing, but I've never done it. So I went over to it and poised myself. And grabbed it, but just as I grabbed it, it kind of turned sideways. So instead of grabbing its jaws and holding them shut, I kind of grabbed between its jaws. And I, so I lurched about a bit, and then I woke up. <laughs> and Julie wanted to know what's going on. Well, she, well, not there and then, but later. What went on last night? What was, I said, well, I was, I was actually rescuing you from an alligator. But I was scared, but she was probably a bit scared as well. I mean, I have to say, I don't very often have these dreams, but there was another dream I'd had earlier on where I, I'd, apparently, I grabbed hold of her in night. But actually, it wasn't her I was grabbing hold of. There was, you ever heard of Christopher Plummer? You know, the star of, uh, "We well, Also sort of climb every money He was in The Sound of Music, you know, Captain Von Trapp. But he wasn't, he was an evil person. And he scared Scared. me absolutely stiff. And he was going for my wife. He was going for Julie. I thought, well, I'm not having him attack my wife. It's my duty to protect her. So I grabbed him to pull him off. But actually I grabbed her instead. <laughs> have, you ever, have you ever been afraid? Have you ever been terrified? Have you ever been scared stiff? What scares you? Is it, you know, is it alligators, snakes, ants in your pants, whatever it is, I don't know. Is it the unknown? Is it the devil? Is it the bogeyman who lives down the lane? I mean, what are you scared of? You have nightmares. Do you ever have nightmares? Some people do. Have you ever woken up in the middle of the night and you're convinced there's someone in the room and you think, I dare not move a muscle in case he sees, and knows I'm awake and then he'll get me. If I just keep very still, maybe he won't get me. Have you ever had that kind of nightmare? Yeah, I guess, well, some of us have. I certainly have. But... We've got two mountains this morning. It's the mountain of fear and the mountain of joy. So we're going to read from God's word now. And this is from Hebrews chapter 19. And it says these words. Can you hear me now? Ah, hey, fabulous, well, I mean it's all relative, isn't it? Anyway, here we go. We're going to start on God's word again. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom and storm, to a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word would be spoken to them, because they couldn't because they could not bear what was commanded. Even if an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I'm trembling with fear. That would be scary. And just to put the context, these are the Israelites have been traveling out of Egypt and on their way to the promised land. God had promised to take them out of Egypt and give them a land flowing with milk and honey. And that was what they were on their way to do. But on the way there, not a it was a bit of a bumpy ride. Um, sometimes you can't always please people. Even though God had rescued them, even though God provided for them, they still complained and moaned. And then it came to the fact that it came to a bit of a showdown, a bit of a head, when they reached a place called Mount Sinai. And God said, I want you to keep my covenant. I want you to keep the covenant with me. Keep my commands. And the people said, yes, we'll do it. We'll keep your commands. Just tell us what to do and we'll follow it to the letter. No problem. And then this scene comes. And you just imagine that. There's the two million of them camped nearby. And there's this mountain which has descended into gloom. The earth has been shaking. There's cloud. There's fire it's terrifying and they're told don't you dare come near this mountain if you come anywhere near it even if a if a sheep strays near it or an animal of any kind you've got to put that animal to death that's what God said this is fear that's gripping not just the people but what does Moses say Moses said I'm trembling with fear and yet it's Moses who has to go up the mountain He's the only one at the time. There were... um, Aaron came as well but at one point. But Moses has to go up that mountain, which is scary. Because God is going to give... At that point, He's going to give the Israelites and the rest of us the Ten Commandments. He's going to give them those commandments. And if you keep those commandments... You'll be alright. All you've got to do is keep the Ten Commandments and the, the various bits and pieces that go with them. You are fine. God wanted a faithful people. And God wanted a covenant people. A people who were prepared to, to do what he said and do his bidding. But this amazing display... Of God's might God's power was there for a purpose to scare the people I don't think that was the primary reason but I think God wanted the people to know that what he was going to give them was of such importance such gravity that they needed to take note of it it wasn't something you know if you feel like it, if it feels good, do this, do that. It, this is something serious. And those people have been complaining and they've been moaning all along the way. Can I just ask, are you one of those people who complains and moans every step of the way? Because that's not what God wants for you. When you deal with people, do you leave the fragrance of Jesus with those people? Or do you, <laughs> or do you leave a bad smell not literally, of course, but do you leave for people say, oh, I'm glad they've gone? Do you deal with people with respect and with courtesy and with the, the way God wants you to do it? But here, God is just showing the people that there's something important coming. And, you know, there's, the, there's fire, there's smoke, there's darkness. And they could even hear God. They could even hear him. That must have been awesome. But they're not to go near it. And Moses goes up. He's scared to death. But he went up there. And God gave the law, the Ten Commandments on those tablets of stone, engraved in stone. And that's the people there down below. They're quaking. But gradually, as time goes on, and Moses is still up that mountain, the mountain of fear... Gradually, I think they're starting to get a bit used to it. They're not just starting to get a bit used to it. They're starting to think, when is he ever going to come down? He's been up there like getting on for 30 days, 40 days. He's not coming down. Well, and they made their own arrangement. They decided that they would make that golden calf. We know the story. God wanted people to live in harmony with him. From the word go, Adam and Eve, the Garden of Eden, he wanted life to be perfect. He wanted to be so in tune with his people that it was just a wonderful existence. And God only gave one rule, only one law. What you mustn't do is eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The one thing they they shouldn't have done Adam and Eve, and then along comes the snake, the serpent, Satan, and tempts Eve, and Eve cajoles Adam, and they both break that one rule, that one law, and then the rot sets in. This is when man rejected God, when man said, I know better than God. And so God here is giving these commandments Adam rebelled. And the point is, of course, that God cannot abide sin. God will not put up with sin in his presence. He can't take it. He will. Well, he refuses to take it. Sin is of the devil. Sin is something which completely spoils, ruins, taints, contaminates life. And we all sin. And you know, sometimes in school, you know, I've taught in school and I've spoken to kids and I've mentioned the word sin. Many kids in, in primary schools, and I guess in secondary schools as well, haven't got any idea what sin actually means, what the word actually means. And sin is anything which goes against God and puts a division between man, between us and God. And so there's Moses up there and he comes down and he finds the people have slipped into sin. No matter what they'd said, a matter of a few weeks earlier, they'd said, we will do whatever you say, God. We'll follow your commands. Just tell us what it is. They're already sinning. You shall have no other gods before me. And what have they done? They've pulled their gold. They've made a golden calf. They're all having a big party, eating, drinking, doing all sorts of stuff, worshipping this idol. And there's the point. We can't keep God's law. But God, God also provided a way that the people could be forgiven for their sins. And it was a matter of giving sacrifices, offering up a sacrifice, shedding the blood of an animal. And when that was done, in the correct way, God forgave sin. Except it was only temporary. It wasn't lasting. It wasn't going to forgive the sins forever. It was just going to do it till the next time. And then another sacrifice had to be offered. And there was the continual thing. Sin, sacrifice, forgiveness, then sin, sacrifice. And it went on and on and on, down through the centuries. However, Look at the first few words of this passage. You have not come to a mountain. But you have come to Mount Zion. To the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven you have come to god the judge of all to the spirit of the righteous made perfect spirits of the righteous made perfect to jesus the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of abel see to it that you do not refuse him who speaks Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Now, the first mountain is Mount Sinai. That's a mountain of fear. A mountain of law. A mountain of don't you dare stray outside this don't you dare touch that mountain but this is the mountain of joy Mount Zion not not the physical place of Mount Zion not Zion where Jerusalem is built that's not what's being talked about here I don't believe I believe it's talking about the heavenly Jerusalem the heavenly Zion you know, glorious things of thee are spoken, Zion, city of our God, the heavenly Jerusalem. That's where we have come to. Now we've just celebrated Easter, and Easter for us as Christians is the most important, it's the most important celebration or the most important part of the church calendar. Because what does it it remind us of? What does it commemorate? It commemorates Jesus, who, although he was perfect, although he'd done nothing wrong, was prepared to go to the cross of Calvary for the likes of you and me. He was prepared to suffer at the hands of men. He was prepared to be flogged, to be spat at, to be ridiculed, to be nailed to this wooden cross and to be put up on that hill, crucified between two criminals who deserved it. That's the important thing. But the point was, on the third day, death couldn't hold him, and Jesus has risen. Jesus is alive today. He's seated at God's right hand. Now, if that isn't something which is important to us as Christians, I don't know what is. And yet, strange thing is, we just see how things are going in our country. I've seen, I saw very very few things about Easter. What have I seen? I've seen stuff about Ramadan. I've seen advertising. I've seen demonstra- you know uh, displays and lights and things in London celebrating Ramadan or Eid. I went to the went into Asda in Hatfield the other day, and up there was a you know celebrate the King's um, coronation in purple background with gold letters on it, and right next door to it, equal size was. Celebrate Eid in the same kind of letters. You see, we as Christians are not only being sidelined, we will also be persecuted. That's what's coming. So you need to prepare yourself for that. Celebrating even in cathedrals, the festival of Ramadan and Eid. And I'm afraid, compromising in that way a Christian church compromising will not have the effect that some people think it will have. They think it will widen things out, make things more accessible, make things more um, you know, diverse and all the rest of it. But it won't. What it will do is it will water down our faith. And it won't attract the people that we think it might. So we need to keep preaching the message of Christ crucified and risen again. We must not compromise. And so, our nation has been built on Christian principles. A whole uh, constitution depends on that. Now, I know it's not perfect, nothing like it. And as gradually people do what they did in the Garden of Eden, as people gradually in this country reject God and say, we don't need you anymore, we don't believe in you anymore, your rules have nothing to do with us. And yet God has established the Ten Commandments which give us his standards, which we know we can't keep, but those are the standards. The moment you say, there are no standards, I can choose whatever my standards are, where do you draw the line? Or does it keep descending downwards? You know, most people think that, obviously, murder is is not right, but there are a lot of other things that people think, well, why not? I don't want to subscribe to this. We need to go back to scripture, look at scripture and see what that says and see what God is saying to us. Compromising our faith does never never has the effect we think it might because the devil uses all this stuff for his own end. Anyway, Jesus bore our sins on the cross at Easter or we remember at Easter. He bore our sins. He took the punishment that we deserved. He suffered separation from his Father. God had to turn his back on Jesus because God cannot countenance sin. And Jesus had become sin. Bad enough being nailed to a cross, being tortured, being beaten, being flogged, being scourged. But when you've got the weight and the guilt of the sin of the world, past, present and future, on your back, that is something else. We can't, we, if we can't be grateful to the Lord for that, what can we be grateful for? And when you accept Jesus as your Saviour, we then have this access to, the Mount, to this Mount Zion. Look, it says there, you've come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. There's rejoicing when a sinner comes to Jesus. Thousands upon thousands of angels. The church of the firstborn. Jesus is the firstborn. But also, in a way, we are firstborn as well. God has no grandchildren. The firstborn is the one who inherits the benefits of the Father. And we can inherit that as well. Well, Because it says the names are written in heaven. Our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life if we've accepted Jesus to be our Saviour. And God is the judge of all, it says there. But... When we come and stand before him, although we have sinned and we sin, Jesus has paid the penalty. Jesus has borne the sin. This is not the mountain of law. This is the mountain of grace. God's riches at Christ's expense is a, is a, a familiar way of, of expressing that. It's God is giving us unc- incredible and unmerited blessing. We don't deserve it. We don't deserve what God has done for us, sending Jesus to die for us, but he did it just the same because he wanted to restore the relationship that has been broken by sin. And God gives us access to this heavenly Mount Zion. And, you know, I just think we need to be absolutely sure We, we mustn't relegate Easter to chocolate eggs, hot cross buns, and Easter bunnies, because it's it's not it's not it. I don't mind a bit of chocolate. I'm on a hot cross bun, Easter bunny. I can put it in the same category as alligators, really. But anyway, I, no, sorry, that's, that was cruel. Wasn't it? Anyway, the thing is that you know what Jesus did for us is so incredible, and this is the point. That I want to just get over to you. This last bit here. You know, we're in a we're in a kingdom that cannot be shaken. God's kingdom will endure forever. We are we are citizens of God's kingdom, and God's kingdom can be such a blessing to all of us and to those around us. So we're receiving this kingdom which cannot be shaken. Let us be thankful and worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Now here's the point. There's the mountain of fear where everybody's scared stiff and don't go up it or go go near it because they they know the consequences are. And then there's Mount Zion. And sometimes we can think, yes, God's forgiven all my sins. So it doesn't matter if I carry on sinning. Yes, it does. The point is that God's done this for us. We can't earn our salvation, but because, because God has forgiven us, because God has accepted us into his kingdom and, and to this Mount Zion, we want to do things to please God. Not that it earns us our salvation, but we want to do things to please God. You know, you can't buy your salvation doesn't mean you shouldn't give to the offering in fact it means you should give to your, the offering in fact you know we could do with a bit more money actually and some of you might need to want just look at us, reassess that but that wasn't what I wanted to talk about this morning what I wanted to talk about this morning was we mustn't take God for granted and God is not just somebody who say, oh yeah well, you can wait God I'm too busy at the moment You know, just over there for a bit I'll, I'll deal with you when I'm ready You can't do that with God. Look at that last little phrase there. Verse 29. Our God is a consuming fire. Gentle Jesus, meek and mild. No, our God is a consuming fire. God is the same God who did those amazing wonders way back in the Old Testament when he gave the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments give us the standard. We know we can't meet it, but we can because Jesus has paid the price. So therefore we are declared. When we stand before God as the judge, God says, not guilty, no charges. Because that's what God has done for us. Every other religion, you are forced, you know, follow these rules. Do this, do that. Give this, give that. You know, do do certain things on certain days and you might be all right. With our faith, with Jesus, we I say, Jesus, I can't do it. Come in and live with live through me, live in me by the power of your Holy Spirit. And I want to take the forgiveness that you have offered me. Because you went to that cross. I can't do it, Lord, you can do it. Do it in me, work in me, make me a blessing. So what i my main encouragement for you this morning is we don't have to be scared of god are you Are you fearful of God? Some people say that if you're not if you don't fear God, you don't really know him it's not fear in the sense of being scared stiff and petrified, and not do anything because you just don 't want to move. not like waking in a night from a nightmare and you're lying in the bed and you think that somebody in there is going to stab you or something like this not that but it's such a a respect holding God in awe we must you know it says here worship God acceptably with reverence and awe that's what this passage is trying to tell us well it's not trying it is telling us it's telling us that we need to respect God we don't treat him flippantly We don't pretend he's not there and so we do whatever we want because God is there. He sees us. God loves us and God is love. But he's also a consuming fire. Now, he's going to burn up the stuff in us which is no good. All the rubbish, all the stuff, that's all going to be burnt away. We need to make sure there's something left at the end of it. What is God calling you to do? Is He calling you to just show Him more respect, to give Him more time, to hold Him in greater honour? We've not come to a mountain of fear. We've come to the mountain of joy, Mount Zion, and that's where we're going. We, our names are written in the Lamb's book of life, and that's where we're going. I'm going to pray. I'm, after after this, um, after the golden calf incident, Moses was so furious with the people that he hurled the tablets of stone the Ten Commandments were on, hurled them to the ground and smashed them up. He was so mad because he had been up there, he had been scared stiff himself up the mountain and there's these people just turning away from God in their droves. And so... Moses pleaded for the people with God don't destroy them please even though he was furious with them he went back up the mountain again don't forget Jesus was also furious at times when hypocrites were making profits out of uh, people who were going to the temple to worship God so he was Jesus himself was righteously angry at times and when Moses went back up there this next time God remade those tablets. But this time, when Moses went up, he said, Show me your ways, Lord. Show me your glory. And God said, You can't see my face, but you go into the cleft of the rock, I'll pass by. And I'll show you my glory. And, God, and Moses again was scared stiff so I'm just going to ask for each one of us maybe as we pray now just to ask God to show himself to us in a new way this morning show me your ways show me your glory so let's just pray now I've come to the end of what I'm saying Heavenly Father I thank you for this passage in Scripture which tells us the difference between the law, which we cannot keep, and grace, which is you doing these things for us through Jesus. Father, I pray that you would help us to seek your face, to want to know you more, to show us this way. Thank you for that we are heading for the heavenly Jerusalem. That we're heading that way, Lord. Our, la- our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Father, I pray that you would just speak to us and move us and just unleash your love and your, your glory upon us, Father. That we would know you more. Just, Lord, reveal yourself to us. And show us what we should do to serve you. Serve you not because we have to. Not because our salvation depends on it. But because we want to. Because we love you and we know you love us. So Lord, just reveal yourself to us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.